and God, for the first time in history, indwells humanity. In the Old Testament, he would come upon an individual for a season. He would bring strength and renewal for a period or for a particular task that lay before them. But now things have changed, and they have changed at such a level, humanity cannot be the same again, cannot be the same again. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. This morning, as many of you are aware, we are beginning a new series of studies on the Holy Spirit. And so if you would turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Acts chapter 2, 1 through 13. We'll read the passage together. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there was staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked each other, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and in the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. Last spring, as some of you will remember, I asked the congregation if they would like the pastoral staff to address some topics on a Sunday morning in a sermon series, what might those topics be? Or if you had a particular or favorite book of the Bible, what would you like us to help you study? And as you can imagine, we had a variety of answers. Some of those answers included things like, Richard, please explain the book of Revelation, especially the role of the Antichrist. And my response is, once I have all of that worked out, I will be glad to tell you. It may take a year or so, but we're working on it, and we will probably get to Revelation eventually. Other subjects suggested were this. Richard, how do we respond to the tough and difficult questions that people ask us from time to time relating to abortion? How do we respond when someone in our office asks us, where do you stand on same-sex marriage? Others wanted us to focus on mental illness and suicide and significantly other tough questions. And we may attempt that, in fact, further on in the fall season. 
But consistently at the number one position throughout the responses we received was this. Please spend several Sundays looking at the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what we're going to do for the next five or six Sundays. We'll spend some time in the book of Acts, as we will this morning, next Sunday. We may, we may well end up in John's Gospel. We will look at subjects like keeping in step with the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. What is the role of the Spirit in the life of the individual Christian? And all of that we will come to in subsequent weeks. But this morning I want you to begin with Acts chapter 2. Most of us, I think, are familiar with the concept of God as a heavenly Father, deeply in love with His children. We know of Jesus' teaching on His heavenly Father. We know that when we pray, we pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. God as Father we're very familiar with. God as Son we are familiar with. We study His life and teaching and the transformation He brings into our lives. And we understand the birth, life, ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And we study Him regularly. But what of the Holy Spirit? How engaged is our minds with God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity? One in essence, three in persons. About 15 years or so ago, a teacher told me a story. She was working in an elementary school, middle school, excuse me, and it was a church-based school, and each day the school would gather for assembly, usually first thing in the morning. The head teacher would then give announcements for the day, usually pray, and then the children would go back to their classes and get on with the day. From time to time, they would change that routine a little, and one of the children would come forward and say a prayer. Someone else would come forward and read a passage of Scripture. And then occasionally, a class of 15 or 20 would come out, and each of the children would be given a section of the Apostles' Creed to write. And the first would begin with, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and would work our way through all the children. And on one occasion, they were doing exactly that with the Apostles' Creed, And they came to the part, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And there was silence. And the teacher looked along the line to see what was going on. The moment was getting more awkward by the second. And she's looking along to see what happened. And one of the other children raised his hand and said, Miss, the girl who believes in the Holy Spirit is not here today. (laughs) Now, we smile at that because we understand what happened mechanically, but there's a second lesson there for us somewhere. That there are times when we read and think of the Holy Spirit and we become a little uncomfortable. Moments ago, we said, Father and Son, we understand, we've grasped, but the Holy Spirit, who is He? What does He do? And so that's why we're beginning this morning in Pentecost. But before we go to Pentecost, that most dramatic and exciting of passages in the book of Acts, where the church is birthed, the temptation for us is to think that the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. And the temptation is to push that a little further and say, that's when He first came. That's when we first hear about Him. But in fact, that's not the case. 
Look at the first passage of Scripture that has been printed for you. And it comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and it reads, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. It's not surprising that in Genesis chapter 1, the first two verses of the entire Bible, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. Jesus is not mentioned here, yet the Holy Spirit is. Several places throughout the Old Testament, you will read of the work and ministry of God the Holy Spirit. When God is speaking to Ezekiel, in one of my favorite verses from the Old Testament, we read these words, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep all my laws. Isn't that a forewarning of Pentecost? Don't we see right in these verses the purposes and plans of God from eternity past prophesied for what is to come? It's hard to find a, more, a passage more parallel to Pentecost than Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you. Remarkable words. Pentecost takes place 50 days after the feast of the Passover. People from all over the Mediterranean basin would be flocking to Jerusalem for the feast of the harvest. They would gather at the temple to give thanks to God for a good summer harvest. And they were from all over. Phrygia, Pamphylia, Mesopotamia, Libya, near Cyrene, from all over. And during those seven weeks, imagine what the disciples had gone through. For the previous three years, they had walked with him each day. They had heard him speak. They had watched him impact lives. They had seen miracle after miracle after miracle and transformation after transformation. And now he was saying, I must now go and be with my father. Can you imagine what was going through their minds? After all of the intimacy they had with Christ, all of his teaching, those moments of sacred prayer that they would listen into, those moments when he worked spectacularly would now be no more. He was leaving them. And not only were they grieved about his death on the cross and all of the pain and grief and bereavement that they felt then, now he was leaving forever. And how could it possibly be good when he says, unless I go, the Spirit cannot come? Think of the pain. Think of the questions. Think of the, the misunderstanding in their mind. How can this possibly be any good that Jesus would leave us? They did not know what was coming. 
Even though he said it, even though he explained, even though he'd gone over it, even though in Acts chapter 1 he said to them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Spirit comes, and when he comes, please hear me, you will have power from on high, and you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. You will have power from on high. And they could not anticipate what was coming. And all of that sets us up to Acts chapter 2. And look at it again. When the day of Pentecost came, seven weeks after the resurrection, they were all together in one place. Now let me pause for a second and refer you to the previous chapter, verse 1, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 15. And we read, in those days Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. So that gives you a sense of what's going on here. This isn't to one or two people upstairs in a back room somewhere. A group numbering about 120 were all in one place. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. What was going on here was this. There was an almighty wind. This isn't something when we say in Main Street, it's a little windy today. This is a divine movement of God with all of its power and great glory. It was an almighty divine wind, so powerful that people from all over Jerusalem were gathering to find out what on earth is going on here. And then they hear Galileans speaking in other national tongues and languages, and they're saying, what has happened? That's what's going on. The Spirit of God came upon them, indwelt them, and tongues of fire were seen above their heads. The wind of the Spirit of God symbolizing the power of God at work. The fire symbolizing purity and cleanliness and refining. And the gift of speaking in other languages that others could understand, symbolic of the gospel now breaking out across the world. Some years ago, I heard someone say in seeking to understand what the Holy Spirit was doing, saying about their own church, it seems as though we left the door open and the Holy Spirit snuck in. Folks, please understand this and allow me to say it with all of the passion and sincerity I can. There is no door on earth capable of holding back the Spirit of God. For when He works in divine, sovereign, majestic power, 
Lives are changed and transformed, never to be the same again. That's what was going on at Pentecost. And that's why people said, how can this be? We're hearing them in our own tongues. And how did they explain it away? They've been drinking. They've had too much wine. And please understand this. And God puts his hand upon the life of an individual, draws that individual to himself, and transforms and renews them and gives to them the gift of the Holy Spirit that brings them to a point of deep and profound repentance and confession in Christ. At that point, their lives are transformed and renewed and can never be the same again. And hear this, please. They should not be the same again because God is at work in a divine manner. The same moral and supernatural power that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in the life of this individual and groups of people. And it is happening by the millions all across our world this morning. God at work, sovereignly, majestically, wonderful, just as he was in Pentecost. And please know this, that when God works at such a level in the life of an individual, those who know that individual well will become unsettled and unnerved because suddenly they, this person whom they think they know has changed. They have an appetite for the things of God. Worship becomes a priority. Prayer becomes important. They're opening up the Scriptures. They are engaging with the living God, and they long that God might take them to a deeper level in their relationship with Him. No wonder they're unsettled and unnerved. They ought to be, because God is at work in a supernatural way. And that's why Peter begins, brothers and sisters, it is nine in the morning. We have not had too much wine. And then Peter gives this extraordinary, spectacular sermon. And what does he say? Verse 14, let me explain this to you and listen carefully to what I have to say. And he begins to tell about the prophet Joel who prophesied that the day will come when God would pour out his Spirit. And please understand what the passage tells us. The Holy Spirit filled all of them. Not just the original twelve, the apostolic band, not just the disciples, but all of them that the Spirit of God touched were filled and indwelt by His Spirit. This is not for an elite few. And God, for the first time in history, indwells humanity. In the Old Testament, He would come upon an individual for a season. He would bring strength and renewal for a period or for a particular 
task that lay before them. But now things have changed, and they have changed at such a level, humanity cannot be the same again. Cannot be the same again. And Peter says, talking of Jesus, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. The death of Christ at Calvary was not some kind of political accident. But by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, the climax of his love and grace for us are seen at Calvary when he hung there for our sin. But please understand this. Please get it. That Calvary was not the end, but in many ways only the beginning. Because all that was accomplished, the death of Christ for the sins of humanity, the reconciliation between God the Father, holy and pure in all of His majesty, was now reconciled with humanity. And all that was accomplished at Calvary is now applied at Pentecost. And if you're taking notes this morning, get it down. All that was accomplished at Calvary is applied at Pentecost. And humanity can never be the same again. Can never be the same again. Understand, please, the significance of what is taking place here. In the book of Romans chapter 5, it says this, that God poured out His love into our hearts through His Holy Spirit. That's what's going on here. The love and grace and majesty and forgiveness and the renewing strength of the Spirit of God impacted our lives. And we simply have not been the same again. And please understand, it's not that the Spirit of God comes along and picks us up when we're going through tough days. It is not quite simply that He renews and refreshes us and refines us and sustains us. It's not simply that He strengthens us and puts us back on our feet and then allows us to move forward and He watches from a distance and every time we fall, He rushes over and helps us again. That is not what's taking place. It is so much greater than that. He indwells us and lives with us and the same moral and supernatural power that raised Jesus from the dead on Easter Sunday morning lives within us. Lives within us. And when we sin, and when we wander, and when we go off away from Him, we do not have to remain there. We do not have to remain there. Notice what the rest of the passage says. Run on down with me, if you would, to verse 37. After Peter had finished speaking, we read these words. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. 
what was going on? The Spirit of God had touched their lives. And now what happens? They are wounded and broken and their sin is exposed and they feel the love and grace and holiness of God and they want nothing to do with it. They want to flee and turn and be away from it because they understand for the first time His love and grace for them. And it's not that the Spirit of God brings them to a point of regret or remorse. It is the opposite. He brings them to a point of utter repentance and their hearts are broken. And now what? They confess their love for Him and they see for the first time who He is and He transforms them and renews them. The Spirit of God is not interested in some sterile academic faith remote or removed from everyday life, but it comes to change us and transform us and enable us to walk with Him. And as we come to wrap all of this up this morning, allow me please to ask you this. When was the last time you tearfully passionately, longingly, on bended knees, said, Father, begin with me. Allow me to be submissive to your spirit. Allow me to surrender every area of my life, the way I deal with colleagues at work, the way I speak to my family, the sin that besets me and holds me back, Father, give me victory over it. Strengthen me. Engage me. Do a supernatural work in me. When was the last time, beloved? When was the last time that you plead with him to forgive and strengthen and renew and to bind up the brokenhearted, to enable you to stand for him and to walk with him? And here is where that begins right here this morning. Because here this morning are the boys and girls, the men and women, the parents and the grandparents and the great-grandparents who will say this with all our hearts. We believe in God the Holy Spirit and we are present here this morning. Father, change us. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this remarkable passage of Scripture. And we thank you that you're not a God who is distant or remote. That your Holy Spirit not only indwells us, but has no interest in a faith removed from living daily reality but a God who walks with us, who forgives us, who strengthens us, who brings wholeness and healing and takes us by the hand and walks with us each day. Father, begin with us. 
May we know the reality of a personal Pentecost when we are surrendered and submissive to you. Father, begin with us, O oh God. Father, hear our prayers, for we bring them to you in the wonderful, sweet name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And the people of God together said, Amen. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you need prayer for something or someone in your life? First Presbyterian Church offers a healing prayer service each Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. Our prayer ministers will quietly intercede for you or anyone you are representing who needs prayer for physical healing, emotional healing, or forgiveness. Our hope is that you will encounter Jesus, the healer and redeemer, in a deep and meaningful way.